And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Nick Kelly. Nick, how are you doing this morning, brother? Clint, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. There's not a whole lot to talk about right now in college football. Um, <laughs> we've been very shorthanded on news, but um, I guess this Texas-Oklahoma thing is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I feel like we should talk about it because I think there's a few people who uh, are talking about it and might be interested. Okay. Uh, granted, I don't think anybody saw this coming, but at the same time, did you expect these sort of changes, uh, anything like this coming? Like, did you expect some kind of looming conference realignment or the SEC adding teams or anything, you know, even remotely similar? Oh, of course, completely. <laughs> uh, I, I saw it coming a mile away. Um, no, the, uh, well, the funny thing is, is Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner kind of warned us at his press conference to start the week last week of media days, he, he quoted Bob Dylan and, and his, his music and, and said the times they are a changing. And of course, no one really paid that close of attention then, but man, they are changing. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. Um, yeah. I, I didn't see this coming whatsoever. Anything remotely similar. And this has to be the craziest off season of all time. Because you start off with the the one-time transfer rule that was put into place. That's completely changed the college football landscape and the way that you, you know, manage your roster and do all those things. Then you turn around and then you have the uh, you know, the the NIL go into effect to allow college, you know, athletes to capitalize off their name, image, and likeness and profit off of it. That's a complete game changer. Everybody's freaking out over that. How's you know college football going to be affected? Which it certainly is going to be. I just can't really tell you how outside of you know players having more money right now, but then the absolute bombshell here. And that's the craziest part about this entire thing is that this to me, now granted the NIL thing is, is huge. You know, the, the transfer portal was big. NIL is huge, but the way that you know, the potential domino effect of this decision to add or trying to add, I guess it's not official yet, even though it's heading in that direction, but trying to add Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC the potential domino effect and the way that it could change the college football landscape that, you know, you could potentially see the NCAA, you know, go away. Um, you can see, you know, a lot of these power five schools have to go elsewhere, you know, maybe join a group of five conference, like just the, everything is uh, about to be turned completely upside down. Pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Steve Berkowitz, who works for USA Today, he wrote an article recently about how, if this happens, if Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC, which looks more likely than not at this point, the SEC could actually rival the NCAA in terms of revenue. And that's a could. There's you know asterisks next to that because we don't know that yet, but it's very possible. And if that happens, how does that change the dynamics of, of college athletics? And how does that change the dynamics of the power that the NCAA has? Because then the SEC is just as much a heavyweight if they're bringing in very similar revenue. Absolutely. There are people out there who still believe that this is not going to happen. I don't see how you could be reaching that conclusion right now. But I mean, this, at this point, with the steps they've been taking, they notified the Big 12 that they were you know, not going to be continuing their you know, grant of media rights or whatever you call it. Then mm -hmm. today, you know, it was announced that they plan to officially um, you know, request to join the SEC. And then you end up getting a vote, which from all indications... I think it's going to be 14-0. It's going to be across the board just to show a unified front. But everybody knows Texas A&M does not want this to happen, so it's possible that they'll vote against it. But I think at worst, you're looking at a 
But you know that so all indications are it's heading towards this happening. As a Missouri guy, how do you feel about Texas and Oklahoma joining the conference? Well, before I answer that, I I just literally saw a tweet from the SEC saying it's a statement from Greg Sankey saying that Oklahoma and Texas have officially submitted their formal request for invitations to become members of the SEC in 2025. So the, <laughs> the wheels keep turning. Um, 2025, that's interesting that they specifically put that number. I guess you have to do that, right? Uh, right, from a contractual standpoint. Yeah, you can't automatically say our plan is to try to buy them out. Um, so yeah, I guess that does make sense, but continue. Yeah, so I, I think as a Missouri guy, I mean, yeah, if Missouri is not traditionally the most competitive in the SEC long-term. And so you'd think adding two heavyweights, especially in Oklahoma in terms of success as of late, would not be a good thing. But frankly, from a, a revenue standpoint, because they split revenue evenly, that is huge for a place like Missouri that is not bringing in the same as a place like Alabama. And so, yeah, I think they're going to vote yes, just like a Mississippi state would. Right. And that makes perfect sense. <laughs> we kind of just dove right into the topic. Um, you know, of course, we're talking about, you know, all the changes to college football so far this offseason, including the latest with Oklahoma and Texas potentially joining the SEC, which that is looking very likely. We're going to be getting into, you know, a position group breakdown with the wide receivers here in just a little bit. Want to go ahead and let people know that that's coming. But we'll, we'll continue this topic for at least a couple of more minutes because, it is so, um, you know, game changing as far as absolutely everything is concerned when it comes to college football. Um, you know, and I've heard I've personally, you know, and I want to get your take, too, because I understand everybody has their opinions, but people have been arguing, OK, let's do away with divisions. There's been other people that have argued, OK, let's just, you know, let's not make this complicated, throw Alabama and Auburn into the SEC East and then add Oklahoma and Texas to the West. And then there have been other people like me who have been in favor of the, the four-division system or the four-pod system. The reason being is I like the idea of breaking it up into divisions, having the smaller kind of nucleus that are kind of fighting each other. I think it gives people more to play for. I mean, sure, if you're SEC North champions, is that something that's going to you know sell you know the, the, the top recruits or something like that? Not necessarily. But Probably just, not. I mean, at the same time, you making that pitch and you haven't, you know, we've won the SEC North the last four years in a row or something like that's that's at least an accomplishment. And I think that, you know, the, my pitch is we know that college football playoff expansion is, is likely coming. And I mm -hmm. think that the more that you add teams, the less emphasis there's going to be and the less importance there's going to be to the regular season. If mm -hmm. you have teams continuing to play some for something in the regular season, for the Alabamas of the world and the Georgias, maybe they don't care if they're SEC East champions or West champions or whatever it ends up being, you know, SEC South champions. But for those other teams, the Mississippi States of the world, the Missouris of the world, if you have a, an opportunity to win that division, uh, that's certainly a big deal. And so, you know, I think that it would just add a little bit more to the regular season. And for the people that have been attacking it or not in favor of it, I haven't gotten like a concrete answer as to why they don't like it. So go ahead and, you know, you can, and, and you, it doesn't mean that you have to share the same opinion or that you have to be exclusive to just one. I also think doing away with the divisions and going with, you know, the permanent crossovers, that would be fine. I'm not a fan of the, the two, you know, uh, divisions with eight teams in it, just because I think you start watering things down at that point, it gets a little bit much, especially if you plan on continuing and adding, you know, a couple of more, you know, down the road. So that's my thoughts on it. What's yours? Yeah, I'm all for just entertainment. What's the most compelling? 
And I know for a lot of folks, it's it's change. And so that's an adjustment. But if it's entertaining, let's give it a shot. I mean, this is a sport. This is entertainment. And so I'm not opposed to the pod system. I also think that the divisions could be interesting if you just keep the two divisions. And if you're Georgia, you better hurry up and win the East this year and, and try to make the most out of that because it's going to be a lot more difficult if all of a sudden you add Alabama and Auburn to the SEC East. And so, yeah, I think that we could see a lot of change that, again, is different. And, and I'm, I'm really not sure, Clint, to be honest with you, like which I like better or what I'm like, hey, this is the way to go. I just am kind of curious to see what it I wish we could like have a simulator to see how it'd play out of, of each option um, but I think I'm at a point where hey if it's entertaining let's go for it I mean things are changing so if you're latching on to what used to be you're going to be disappointed so might as well get on the train of, of change and and embrace that and and see where it goes absolutely and and I'm right there too um, it, it's difficult because I wouldn't say that oh man if, if they go with any one of these particular systems, I'm not going to like it. But there's a couple of things. You now have a lot more heavy hitters. And, and I like the idea of dividing those heavy hitters up a little bit more. Now, granted, would it make the SEC East a lot more competitive? Sure. If you throw Alabama over there and now you got Alabama and Georgia, you're still going to have Florida who have good years. You're still going to have Auburn who's going to have good years. I think Missouri is a program on the rise. I think it would be a, a fun division. Don't get me wrong. It's not that. But when you're looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, what's the SEC going to do? You're inviting these two new teams into the conference. You're taking your biggest sell, which is Alabama, and you're saying, Georgia, our second biggest sell, we're going to throw you over to their division. And now if you want to win just your division in the SEC, you're going to have to outdo that team. And we're going to give Oklahoma and Texas the opportunity to come in. And LSU is still a great program. They're still going to be competitive. And if you're LSU, this is kind of a best-case scenario for you. Um, Texas a and a program on the rise. So it's not like there wouldn't be anybody over in the West. But you've set your two new teams up with a, a, a path of least resistance compared to an Alabama or a Georgia to get to the SEC championship, while your two blue bloods that have been taking care of you and been in the conversation pretty much every year, especially Alabama – you're kind of saying, okay, now we're going to make your job that much more difficult. And I'm not sure that the SEC would do that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a fair point. And, and that's where, again, I I don't feel strongly. I mean, I just am more so like, hey, let's see what happens. <laughs> and I like that um, approach, yeah. It, it, and, the go with the flow approach is, is definitely the way to go here because there, there's so many different directions they can take it. And if you kind of get you know pigeonholed into one specific one that you want – then you're going to be unhappy with whatever they end up going with. I think it's similar to falling in love with, say you have a favorite NFL team falling in love with a certain draft prospect, and yep. then you're crushed when they don't take that player. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because more often than not, that's not going to happen, that they're going to get the guy you want. And, and it's kind of similar with this, is that there's so many different options, so many ways this could play out, that, man, if you, if you lock in on one way, and if that happens, that's the only way you're happy – you're probably not going to be happy at the end of all this. But like I said, I, I think I'm just I'm just so intrigued, Clint, like to see what happens uh, once this goes down. Because, I mean, like you said, everything's going to totally change. I can't tell you how many times that I've said that statement this offseason. You know, yeah. and, you know, and what's interesting is we've had these points, you know, the transfer portal became a thing. You know, everybody kind of knew that that was coming. But, 
you know, then all these people, you know, radio interviews, you know, that, and you're being asked the same questions over and over. And, you know, you're trying to answer it and say, yeah, this is big for college football. Here's why. But then about the time that that finally starts dying down a little bit, people are adjusting. Here comes the NIL stuff and, and it creates this whole new uh, storm of questions and, you know, things like that. You got to go and, and answer the same things over and over. And now with Texas and Oklahoma, it's the exact same thing. And, and it, what's crazy is, is, if you have been a fan of the college football product up to this point, you're terrified because there has been so much to change in such a short period of time. You're terrified that the product that you've come to, to love is gone forever. And the one thing that I will say, and I'll continue to reiterate, if, if they stop at Texas and Oklahoma, I'm fine with it. I, I love the move. I think it was a smart move with where college football is heading to add those brands. They technically aren't in the Southeast, but it works enough where, you know, people aren't going to kick up much of a fuss. If you start adding, which I don't know if the reports are true, I don't bomb and, and we'll, you know, I guess we'll find out. Maybe there's talks happening, but I don't, I don't think that a, that a Michigan or an Ohio state or a program, you know, any of those Northern programs would get added. If you did, I would be extremely disappointed because I feel like the, you know, even just the name, the the SEC, you know, the Southeastern Conference, it's one of the few things that the Southern culture has from a sports standpoint that, you know, they feel like represents them, you know. So if you change it and, and, and you come up with some broad name that you've started adding Northern teams and stuff, I feel like to some degree, Southern people would feel like they lost a little bit of their identity because that, you know, SEC football has been what it's always been about. And now you're – just imagine, you know, all these Texas fans that have been trashing the SEC for years, trying to downplay the success and everything else. Now you got to flip over and go the opposite way and talk about how good, good, great and wonderful it is. You know, if you've trashed on other programs from other places or whatever, yeah. now they're in, in the conference, much different approach in how you uh, go about things. Yeah. And I think that the boundaries of the SEC have already been expanding. Like, yeah, the core of it is in, in the Southeastern Conference or in, in the Southeast of the United States, but Missouri's not in the Southeast. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's in the Midwest. Texas is not in the Southeast. It's in the South, right. but it's not in the Southeast technically. So, I mean, already the boundaries have been expanding. Now, if you go Northern, like true Northern teams, like a, not they're going to add Minnesota, but you know what I mean? Like if, if you're really picking like states that are bordering Canada practically, then you really stretch it but i think the the idea of it being a core sec is probably of it's more the brand name than it is a a geography you know a geographical uh identifier and so yeah i think because the other thing too to see what happens with this is okay once oklahoma and texas presumably join the sec what shockwaves does this send elsewhere and that's what i think i'm most interested interested to see is does the big 12 stay together does it add teams? Do they disperse and join other conferences? So I, I think the shockwaves are going to be the most fascinating. Absolutely. And, and the Big 12 is one to keep an eye on for sure, because what they do from here is going to determine a lot. You know, if they have other teams jumping for other conferences, you know, of course, that's going to matter. Um, that, that will mean the end of the Big 12, you know, the, as we know it, it will be the end of the Big 12 period, probably. Um, if they merge with another conference, I've heard, you know, maybe talks about them, you know, taking the remaining teams, joining up with the Pac-12. Don't know if that'll happen, but you know it, what happens with the Big 12 moving forward is going to have a significant impact on a lot. So that's something to definitely monitor. 
And I, I think at some point, you know, and I said this on Twitter and we'll just kind of have to see, but I think we get to a point where there's, you know, three, there might be four, but I think just for, you know, nice, even number purposes, uh, I think you get to probably three super conferences. I think you get to a point where you have 12 team playoff. And if you had divisions at that point, you could set it up where, you know, um, every division winner would get a spot in the college football playoff. The problem is, is, you know, there's going to, in that kind of situation, you're going to have plenty of teams, you know, that the, the NFC East and the NFL has been trashed the last couple of years. They're still getting one of those trash teams into the into the, the the NFL playoffs because they're just a little bit less trash than the other three. That's what it all comes down to. So you'll get that <laughs> if you take this approach. And I understand that you won't have the best 12 teams are now playing, you know, every single year in the college football playoff. But I just think that would make it nice and neat and easy. And that would put more of an emphasis on the regular season too, because teams would have more to play for. And you don't have to to get to the playoffs if you're Mississippi State, if you're not in Alabama's division, you don't have to worry about Alabama necessarily to get to the playoffs. You can still get there without getting a win over them or overcoming them. And I think that that would make you know Mississippi State fans a lot more excited or all these other small schools too. So a lot to think about. I know we kind of jumped down the rabbit hole there. Um, could probably talk about this for hours, to be quite honest. It's just, you know, at a certain point. to unpack. Yeah, you're, you're beating a dead horse. Um, we'll, from all indications, they're going to join. We'll take it from there whenever it happens. Uh, there will be plenty to talk about then. Let's shift focus to another position group for Alabama. We've done the the outside linebackers. We got a good uh, breakdown of that. Now it's time to shift to the offensive side of the football and talk a little bit about the wide receivers. So I think that you at least know a couple of these, Nick. You probably know a lot of them by now now that you've been you know around for a little while, but they've had a couple pretty good ones over the last few years. Yeah, of course, having what, four first-round picks over the last two years tends to Qualify you as having a couple pretty good, right? <laughs> and you know what? I didn't even think about this, but it's not just first round. It's top 15. Um, you know, Jerry Judy yeah. was the lowest uh, taken. You know, you had number six or seven. I guess it was six for Waddle, 10 for Devontae Smith, 11 for Judy, and then 15 for uh, – and excuse me, 11 for Ruggs, 15 for Judy. So, I mean, that, that's absolutely insane. That's pretty darn good. And so what, what gets left behind, you know, <laughs> seeing this type of success is how you end up getting this freshman class that Alabama just signed. You know, you, you start to think how in the world did they pull four of the top 10 receivers, all top 75 prospects in the same recruiting class. You would think from a, a you know, receiving or from a receiver standpoint, typically divas um, want the ball a lot. Why would you go and, and sign with a school that, you know, it's just signed three other guys who are all expected to be as good, you know, as you are. Reason being is because you just watched four guys all have a ton of success. You even had one of them win a Heisman Trophy, being the first, I guess, true receiver to ever win the position, uh, to win the award. So you have that guy. You have, you know, tons of guys who have been first round picks. There's plenty of production to go around. If you are good enough, they'll get you on the field and they'll find a way to utilize you, put your skill set on display and allow you to go make yourself some money in the NFL. Yeah. And, and which guys, I mean, to you, of course, John Mechie, he's, he's the, the standout of the, of the potential next guy, but he doesn't quite have that same skill set as we we've seen with some of these just pure, just speedy athletes. So, so I guess what stands out to you most about this group? 
well, I actually like the overall makeup of the group um, for, for sure. And the reason being is you have that guy who will be considered your headliner and John Mechie and you're right. I don't think his ceiling quite reaches the same as those other guys. I still think he's a potential first round pick. Um, still think he could end up being a good NFL receiver. I just don't necessarily think um, that he's going to be the number one or number two guy in his particular class. Now he could change that. Uh, the big question about Devonte Smith heading into last year was you're losing Jer- uh, Jerry Judy and you're losing Henry Ruggs the third. Can Devonte Smith, even though he's going to have Jalen Waddle, can Devonte Smith kind of step up and be a guy who? Because a lot of people felt like, and if you went and looked at his 2019 season, it seemed like a lot of his success was based off of teams saying, "Okay, we've got to pick one of them." I mean, you're not going to be able to guard four first-round caliber receivers. I don't care how many defenders you have. So the the thought was, let Devontae Smith be that guy. And and one thing that Tua Tungavaloa learned, you know, going into that season was take what the defense gives you, and the defense was giving Devontae Smith a lot. So that's how Devontae Smith ends up leading the team in, you know, receiving production that year. And everybody wondered, okay, now that you're going to be one of those guys, the defense say, okay, we're going to make sure we try to stop Waddle. We're going to make sure that we try to stop Devontae Smith in the passing game. Can he continue to be productive? And then Jalen Waddle goes down, and you're like, okay, now he's the true number one guy, and he continued to just absolutely dominate. So we answered that question. So with Mechie, similar thing. You know, he's not going to have Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle or these other guys, you know, ahead of him taking the attention away from him, at least not right now. So can he step up and be a guy who, even though defenses are trying to scheme to stop him, if he can have success? And I think he he probably can, just not in maybe the same way that Smith did or uh, Waddle did or, or Ruggs or just just the way that these guys went about playing the position. It just might be a different way, but it doesn't mean it won't be successful. I mean, he's got good hands. He runs good routes. He, he runs crisp routes. And so he's someone that I, I enjoy watching. And I think he's a good football player. And he just will probably be doing it a different way. Now, Jameson Williams is a guy that I'm very intrigued to see how he does with Alabama after having transferred from Ohio State. Because he's he's a guy that, A, Saban talked about at Media Days. Mechie talked about at Media Days. In terms of this guy just brings the juice. He brings speed. He brings a lot of things that maybe this core didn't have. Without, without that addition. So I think Saban bringing him in was very important just to be able to you know take that top off the defense, to, to bring that, that home run threat that even if he doesn't have great hands or he doesn't prove to be someone that is having a Devontae Smith-type season, just a guy who can threaten, threaten that can make such a big difference in terms of giving some breathing room to the other guys. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting about him is that you know a lot of people wonder, okay, you were at a – you know, prominent program, you were competing for a national championship. Uh, why in the world, you know, w- would you leave? And, and the reason being is, is, you know, Ohio State kind of finds themselves in a similar situation to Alabama last year and the year before, you know, with Chris Olaf and uh, and Garrett Wilson. And then you got Jackson Smith. The I think he was a former five-star. They're deep. Yeah, They're extremely deep. deep. And so, you know, he was going into what was supposed to be his final season. He kind of was viewing himself as, you know, probably the number four. Um, and then Alabama comes along. You've seen what they've been able to do. Even their number four is seeing significant production. But not only that, you're being told, hey, you'll have the ability with your experience and your talent to come in and compete for a starting job and be one of the top two or maybe three guys. And I think that was intriguing in Alabama's you know, offense based off of what he had seen. 
So he decides to transfer um, right now. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be a starter, but I think that it's possible. I think his ability, he can play the X if you need him to, because he's got the size. He's 6'2", you know, roughly about 190 pounds, but he's also got the vertical speed, um, you know, to be able to play the Z. I think Z is probably his better position, but with John Mechie typically playing that Z role, I could also see if Jamison Williams ends up starting, I could see him playing the X a little bit too. Or, you know, it could come down to, you know, they decide, okay, you know, either Javon Baker or Treshawn Holden, one of those two guys can play the X since they're the big body guy. You know, uh, Jamison Williams can play the Z, allow him to use his vertical speed a lot. And then you could put John Mechie down there in the slot if you decided that you would rather have Slade Bolden as your wide receiver four rather than a guy like, uh, you know, Jamison Williams. So I'm a huge fan of Williams as well. I still like Bolden. I like the fact that, you know, he's that traditional slot receiver. You're not going to be playing him, you know, really anywhere else as far as the, you know, a perimeter receiver or anything like that. But you can, you know, line him up in the backfield if you want to. You can play him as, you know, Slade Cat, you know, as a Wildcat quarterback if you want to. So you can do some different things and allow him to kind of use his, uh, you know, versatile skill set. But personally, I think – you know, by the time I'm not saying that he won't start week one. In fact, I do think Slade Bolden starts week one. And I do think he's an important part of the offense, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you started seeing, you know, Javon Baker, or a Treshawn Holden or a Jamison Williams, you know, this one of those guys who aren't starting out the gate kind of end up overtaking him at some point. And then of course you got that freshman class, which, uh, you know, the other aspect of this is I think that the makeup of the wide receiver room is very similar to, you know, what was it, 2017 when they won the national championship where you had the veteran experienced guys. You had the headliner in Calvin Ridley. That's Mechie. You had other guys who had experience and who had been, you know, a part of the offense like a Cam Sims or a Robert Foster. They step into starting roles. I think you see that probably with a Jamison Williams and a Slade Bolden. But then you had Jerry Judy, you had Henry Ruggs III, and you had Devontae Smith, three freshmen who are ready to make an impact almost from the first game. And you slowly started to implement them more and more into the offensive game plan over the course of the season to the point where you get to the national championship and it's pretty much all freshmen. Um, or, you know, you had Ridley still in there as well, but I'm saying, you know, you were using a ton of freshmen and they were all having, you know, success. I could see something similar to that this year. Yeah, especially with young talent. And when one guy that I'm, I'm intrigued to see just how, if they use him, to what extent they use him is Jai Hall. He's, uh, he, he's a guy who, I mean, he flashed in the spring game with a couple of just impressive catches. Of course, he's had some videos on social media where he's made some more impressive catches. And so he's, he's just an athlete that has size and, and good hands and, and uh, doesn't mean he'll be able to contribute or play well right away because he's a freshman, but he, he's got a lot to work with. Absolutely. And what's interesting is, you know, he was a top 50 prospect, the number five wide receiver, uh, which was the second highest rated receiver in Alabama's freshman class. Ja'Cory Brooks was the first five-star top you know, almost a top 25 guy. I don't think he was quite there, but the number two receiver in the class. But for on three sports, which is a new recruiting service that's kind of up and coming, the guy who started Rivals and who started 247 Sports, he's doing the on three thing and bringing in some great talent to kind of evaluate their recruits and things like that. They actually have Hall rated as a five-star prospect and one of the top receivers in the country. So people are going to view these guys differently, but I think in the spring game, especially seeing those acrobatic catches, you know, one of the big things about Hall coming out that had me kind of questioning 
Okay. You know, he might take a little bit of time as I just thought he was a little bit lean. You know, he's sick. He's a true six, three, very long, but he was 190 pounds coming out. I think he was just a bit under 190 pounds. Now he's got up to 195. So he's added five to seven pounds to his frame. That certainly helps, but you know, you know that the guy has the speed to win vertically. He's got the ability. I don't think he's a natural pass catcher right now. I think that, you know, he makes some fantastic catches, but He's going to make sure that he continues to grow as far as his consistency is concerned. But the ceiling for him is incredible. And and what I like about this class, as far as the freshmen go, the freshman receivers, is you kind of got the two big body guys in Ja'Cory Brooks and Ajayi Hall, who, you know, can do a lot of different things for you. I think Ja'Cory is a lot more of the big bodied X receiver. He plays big. He's physical. He can win at the catch point. Extremely hard worker. You know, when you think of Bill O'Brien's offense and the way that he's liked to utilize the X receiver over his career, whether it be DeAndre Hopkins for years in Houston, whether it be Allen Robinson back in his days at Penn State, I think Ja'Cory Brooks ends up being a perfect fit eventually. But you got those two guys, the big body guys, and then you got the two, you know, electric players and Christian Leary and JoJo Earl, both a little bit undersized, but, you know, you got vertical speed. You got, you know, just the ability to create after the catch with JoJo Earl, especially. You got the pure vertical speed there with Christian Leary. He's a lot more of a physical runner when he's got the ball in his hand. So I like both of those two guys as well. I think they did a nice job of kind of balancing. We've seen a lot of kind of not not undersized, you know, Waddle, I guess, was, but a lot of six foot, hundred and, you know, I guess in Devontae Smith's case, you know, 170 pound. Uh, receivers, but then other guys who have been there. Judy's not overly big. He never topped 200. Ruggs never topped 200. So you've had this kind of certain mold of Alabama receiver. Now you're starting to get into the bigger body guys, but you're keeping those you know good route runners, electric players with the ball ball in their hands too. So I like the combination. Yeah, I think that they have a lot to play with. <laughs> they do uh, a lot, a lot of things to use, try out, see what works, see what doesn't. So there might be some growing pains, especially with the new quarterback. But and also, frankly, who Bryce Young connects with will probably determine who they might be using. That's that's a great point, point. Um, and because that that is extremely important. And for me, it's one of the big reasons I've heard Alabama fans, or I've read about Alabama fans who have kind of been trashing Trayshawn Holden, saying he's just a guy, he's nothing special. I think that, you know, one of the big things that I looked at, like I said, with Bill O'Brien's offense, and I realized how much he utilizes the X receiver, how much he wants to. He didn't have to. You know, they had a Brandon Cooks this past year. They had gotten rid of DeAndre Hopkins, and, and Cooks was the guy. So he didn't have to have that necessarily. But when he's got that big body guy, you know, he tends to like to use him. And for Trayshawn Holden, he came in at something like, you know, like 195 pounds. He's now up to 208 pounds. He's added almost 15 pounds to his frame, 6'3". Wasn't a highly recruited guy coming out of high school. I mean, he was. He was a four-star, you know, top 250 player, but he just wasn't the typical, you know, he's not like some of these other guys that are checking in as top 10 receivers, top 75 players kind of thing. But what I saw in the spring game was him being the target. He got a lot of targets. He got a lot of catches on the short to intermediate stuff. It just felt like that he was one of the trusted guys and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I understand uh, Javon Baker's still there. He could end up starting at the X. But Trayshawn Holden, I would not be surprised at all if he was the X, John Mechie was the Z, and Slade Bolden was the was the slot, you know, come week one. Or if you wanted Jamison Williams out there, you could have Trayshawn Holden at the X, Jamison Williams at the Z, and then John Mechie at the at the slot. I think, you know, you got some combinations there, but I'm a huge Trayshawn Holden fan. 
I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's warranted, and, and we'll see again how they end up using guys, and I'm sure it might change throughout the year. You know, there are some guys that a lot of people ask about. You know, I hear a lot about Xavier Williams and, hey, he's going into his fourth season. Where he, Where is he at uh, as far as his development? Is he ever going to become anything? Um, you know, uh, Tyu Jones-Bell is another one. He was actually the highest rated receiver in Alabama's 2020 class of those guys with, you know, Javon Baker and Treshawn Holden. Haven't really heard a ton about him. He's got some ver- uh, some vertical ability. He's got some versatility where he can play inside or out you know we'll kind of just have to see i think right now he's more so depth but the way that i'll kind of wrap up the receiving group uh just to make it you know nice and easy i think you're going to rely on experience early with bolden and mechie and jameson williams i think you're going to mix in a little bit of javon baker and trey sean holden i think they're kind of ready to to at least get involved but then you know i think at least one of these true freshmen gets playing time very early, meaning week one against Miami. And and it looks like it could be Hall. It could be one of these other guys. You know, JoJo Earl didn't enroll early, so I think that hurts him a little bit from his chances of getting involved. But you also got, um, you know, Brooks, potentially Hall or Leary, any of those guys. I think at least one of them is utilized from week one. And then I think maybe at least one more, maybe even a third ends up becoming more a part of the rotation. And at who's, um, you know, who ends up catching – the, the, the benching out of that situation, I can't really tell you. Maybe it's a Slade Bolden. It's not going to be Mechie. I think Williams, with his big playability, is going to continue to have a role no matter what, whether it's as a starter or as a rotational guy. But we'll kind of just have to see. That's kind of how I see it playing out. What about you? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, again, what makes the most sense when you have so many new pieces on offense. So who does Bryce Young connect well with? what does Bryce need to succeed? Because that's what it ultimately comes down to. How do you set up your quarterback for success? And so if that means that he needs experienced guys who know, know what they're doing, know what they're doing. And maybe, and maybe they don't even present the best option, like in terms of athleticism or as a pass catcher or whatever, but they have that experience. Maybe that's what you need early on. And so I think, yeah, it's going to be so fascinating to see how they kind of, just how this ebbs and flows and and how it changes because it probably will. The last thing I'll say, because that's a very interesting point, Um, you know, with Tua, he was an extremely accurate rhythmic passer. You know, that was kind of his go-to thing. And And it might just be that Alabama's top options anyways were excellent route runners and could create after the catch who had great timing and and great chemistry. Chemistry matters, and you can develop that with pretty much anybody. But it's interesting because all four of Alabama's top receivers during the Tua Tungvaloa days were the guys who could run the quick slants, uh, you know, had the speed to catch a quick slant and take it to the house, do a lot of different things to complement what Tua does, you know, really well as a passer. Then you see Tua get to Miami – He's got, you know, a big body guy in Devontae Parker. He's got Preston Williams, another big body guy. And you sit there and say, okay, he wasn't having as much success. And it's one of the big reasons I, I like the fact that they added Waddle. But one part of that that you brought up that I think is extremely important is what is Bryce Young good at? You know, what type of receiver does he need that not only does he trust, but has the skill set to complement what he does well as a passer? You know, if you've got a quarterback with a cannon for an arm that really likes to push the ball vertically, you're going to want a big body guy who can get downfield or a speedster who can outrun guys to be able to capitalize on that stuff. You're not going to be putting some, you know, big, slow 
receiver out there running vertical routes. So, yeah, I think that that's also a very important factor here in determining how everything shakes out. And I think Mechie certainly fits well with him regardless because you can do so many different things with him. But that's that's an excellent point, man. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? No, let's just uh, get, get uh, fall practices rolling and, and see where it leads us. Yeah, so this is kind of the plan with that. Now that we're starting to get closer, um, I think Friday, August 6th, if I'm not mistaken, is that the – the first day of camp. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll continue to do the position breakdowns, but they'll probably, you know, we'll take 15 or so minutes, probably cover that, but also cover any kind of news that's happening regarding fall camp that comes out. And and I think that will just be the easiest. And then we'll start talking about Miami and, and breaking down that matchup and maybe like taking a look ahead towards the rest of the season, but this has been fun. You know, appreciate you hopping on here with me. We'll get this, like I said, more consistent as we get closer to the season, which we are doing. So looking forward to that. Nick, always appreciate you, brother. Yeah, you as well, Clint. This has been another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast.